Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at chumbacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. I'm all day in my, I'm all day in my, I'm all day in my dark That's right, folks. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com and make sure you do use code 1776. Welcome to the program. This is The Situation Room. Visit the websites, thepatrioticreport.com, cowboylogic.us, and, of course, streamingtalkradio.com. We wish each and every one of you a good evening. Welcome here. Uh, We have, of course... As you can see on the screen, the beautiful Donna Fiducia, and of course, the ruggedly handsome Mr. Don Newen. What's up, kids? How you doing, Rock? You're Rocky. <laughs> we need to say this also to our guest. Oh. Yo, Evan, say it. Because he's from New York. Oh, no, no, no. Me, how you, how you yo, doing? Let me do it. Oh, Don has yo, to do it. Yo, do how you doing? Oh, oh. <laughs> hey, Evan. How you doing? How you doing? Yo, can I tell you a quick story about yo? Hey, Please. tell me about yo. Tell me about When I was a full-time stand-up comedian, at the end of my show, I would take 5, 10, maybe even 15 minutes and take questions from the audience because I was a rather good ad-libber. And, and so somebody once asked me, you know, how do you, how do you ad-lib so well? And I said, it's not what the person says. You got to size up who the person is. So I'm doing a, a gig in a town called Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn, and this guy yells out, yo. So instantly I know I'm dealing with a dyslexic Jew. <laughs> Oi. Oi. <laughs> All right, the great Evan Sayed is with us in the Situation Room. Donna Fiducia. Folks, he is seriously funny. He is a conservative <laughs> political comedian, which is not easy. Master of ceremonies, author, columnist. He is just amazing because kind of like me, we have roots back in the commie lib days because of our parents in the New York, New Jersey area, and then did a 180. That is one Evan Say It, and you can find him at evansayit.com. His books, the latest, The Woke Supremacy and Anti-Socialist Manifesto, Apocalypse Now, illustrated by A.F. Bronco, who is just an amazing political um, artist. He's the Heritage Foundation's most watched lecture of how the modern liberal thinks. Also uh, recently, or I should say back at Town Hall, most read article, He Fights, was Town Hall's most read article. Most recently, JustTheNews.com, he's got a column out, which we'll talk to in just a minute. And another one of his books, which I have, The Kindergarten of Eden, Again, how the modern liberal thinks. 
Yeah, but this here's one, the thing, Don. Hold, one... hold on, hold on. Here's what's important <laughs> about this book. You're the one that always gets the inscription. Yes, yeah, see right there? It says Donna. Right there. Can you read it? All his to Donna. What's it say? All my love. All my love. There's too. no love left over. There's none for me. There you go. I love you. I love you, Don. I just ran out of ink. I didn't oh, run out of love. I ran out of ink. <laughs> it's the old I ran out of ink excuse. <laughs> oh, my gosh. By the way, Evan also is a self-proclaimed major Springsteen addict. But we won't hold that against you. Yeah. Why the hell do all of Springsteen's songs sound the same? But they don't sound the same. Me, they don't. They don't sound the same. They don't sound the same. You you got to pull the hat up over your ears. (laughs) (laughs) But but there's nothing like his hearing. He is a commie lib. I understand that. He just did that stupid interview with Obama where he kissed Obama's backside. I'm like oh. screaming at the TV going, are you serious? Give me a break. But I mean, did this involve can, smearing butter? If, no, if you can okay. write, if you can write a lyric, poor, poor man want to be rich, rich man want to be king. And the king ain't satisfied till he rules everything. How perfect is that? Evan, That's perfect. Say it That's for perfect. But what's interesting is, is what follows. The reason he writes that line, the reason he sings that line is because he's, he's young at that time, at that point. And he's trying to figure out what's yeah. going to make him happy in life. And he decides that it's not money for the reasons you just described. If it were money, then, then the king would be satisfied. Right? But he ultimately decides, where is he going to find this happiness? I believe in the love that you gave me, and I believe in the faith that can save me. It's a very Christian, it's a very conservative, it's a very Republican line. And in fact, the very first day that Breitbart had Big Hollywood, he asked me to write a a feature piece. And the piece I wrote was called something along the lines of Springsteen, 100% Republican. And I compared his lyrics to John Lennon's lyrics, where Lennon is all about imagination and imagining a world. and and, And Springsteen's is all about the hard work of getting things done. Getting in the car, and the car might only have uh, two lanes, not a, not, a, not a multi-lane highway. It might have a bump in the road. But Springsteen would sing about the realities of working hard to accomplish the American dream, whereas leftism is exactly the opposite. It's imagine a world where you don't have to do anything at all. Mm. Sprung from cages on Highway 9. Chrome wheel, fuel injected, and stepping out of the line. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's not my song. My song, my song. I gotta separate the lyrics. Go ahead. I'm my, sorry. My song is my song is Thunder Road. And and there you go. Can, can I can, can I do this? I've probably done this on your show with you before, but it's been long enough. And I don't think Rocco knows this. So Rocco, I want you to play along with this. I'm coming. Don't try to don't don't try to figure anything out. And if you know the lyrics already, pretend you don't. But the first three words of the song, uh, Thunder Road, are the screen door slams. That's actually four words, but to make it impressive, I hyphenate screen door. So the first three words are the screen door slams. Where are we geographically? Are we in the city or the country? If there's an old screen door slamming in the breeze, where are we, Rocco? That's rural. Yeah, I would think that's rural. It's rural. Right, we're in the country somewhere. Is the person rich or poor if they've got a screen door that's slamming in the breeze? I'm going to have to say poor working class. There you go. Uh, But not rich. Certainly not rich. I I know this is a tad sexist, but is the person male or female? Definitely knowing you answer that. 
Well, I, I know that's wrong. I want to go back to the. So I can't answer. Hey, listen, rich people have doors that screen doors that slam too. They just pay people to do it. Oh, that, that, oh, that's funny. But they pay people to fix it. Um, all right, I think no, it's a woman. I think it's, they leave it open. I think okay, it's a I'm going to spoil it. It's a woman. Her name is Mary. Okay, wait a second. Here's how I. Here's what makes me think it's a woman. We're not up to Mary yet. I know. All right. Okay. <laughs> don't don't rush me. We got an hour to kill. I'm not, I don't have that much to say. I don't, I'm just killing time. That's all I'm doing. Until I, here's why I think it's a woman. I know this is a tad sexist, but guys in the country are handy. They fix things. If they, if he had a screen door that, that had an old rusty spring on it, the guy, I think, would fix it. Fair enough, Rocco? Yes, sir. All right. If that's true, if you buy that, is the woman married or single? Oh. Single. How do you know? He's heard the song. Because the guy no, 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 would no. fix the screen door if she the were married. The, the guy would fix the screen door. Yeah, All right, yeah. three more Very words. Three more words, and I promise I'll stop. Well, it's either Mary, she's, she's either single or has a liberal husband. One of the two. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably I, a Jewish next, husband, quite honestly. Because the they can't fix anything, words, Evan. <laughs> the next three words. I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to do this. <laughs> The next three words are Mary's dress waves, Rocco. What what religion was somebody named Mary likely brought up? Catholic. Catholic with all that entails. What's the weather like if she's wearing a dress that's thin enough to wave in the breeze? Sunny and summer. All right. So inside of six words, we know where we are in the South. We know it's a not married. We know her marital status. We know her financial status. We know her religious upbringing. We know what the weather's like. We know if one definition of great poetry is the biggest story told in the fewest number of words, you do not get. You cannot get better than Springsteen. Oh no, it's true. It's true. And like a vision, she dances across the porch. As, right. the radio As the plays. radio plays. That's the oh, next oh, line. I mean, it's just amazing. Oh, and at the here. end... Let me ask okay. you something, no, though, because Fiducia, you're, you're a Springsteen guy, and uh, Mr. Saint, you're a Springsteen fan. Um, I've heard people, um, I never really listened intensely, but uh, some people believe that the song Born in the USA is, is anti-American. Uh, where do people get this from? It, it, it is indeed, and unfortunately... And, and I, it's actually written about, I write about Born in the USA in The Woke Supremacy. Because when we think of supremacists, we always think of, you know, very, very bad people. And certainly the monsters like Hitler and Stalin and Mao. And, and, and But it's really not the monsters that you need to be afraid of. It's the people who've just been so fully steeped in and, and fo- so fully surrounded by the narratives of the supremacy that they don't even give it a moment's thought. Right. So Springsteen writes this song about what it's like to be born in the USA, and he sings about the Vietnam War, and he says, got in a little hometown jam, so they put a rifle in my hand, sent me off to a foreign land to go and kill the yellow man. In other words, he's repeating the narrative of the supremacy that America is this evil, horrible, racist place, so racist that we would send our sons and our daughters halfway across the globe to this godforsaken jungle in Southeast Asia for no other reason than to kill people with yellow skin. What awful people we would be if that were true. The problem is, not only is it not true, it is the opposite of the truth, and I'll prove that in a moment. But even more disconcerting than the fact that Springsteen is so wrong is that clearly this very smart man 
did not bother to spend even a nanosecond thinking before he leveled those damning charges against our country. How do I know he didn't spend even a moment thinking? Because as ignorant of history as Springsteen may or may not have been, he had to have known this, that while it's absolutely true that the North Vietnamese whom we were fighting had yellow skin, it's also true that the South Vietnamese with whom we were fighting and whom we were dying to protect had yellow skin. So if he had given it even a moment's thought, he would have known that the narrative of the supremacy is not true. In fact, it's the opposite of the truth. We were there to protect yellow men. Actually, if you want to take it a step further from white men, since the, the North Vietnamese were proxies of, of, of the Russians. And the Russians are even whiter than we are because they're closer to the Caucasus. So not only is Springsteen wrong, but he, he didn't give it even a moment's thought. And that's the real fear in a supremacy. You know, in Nazi Germany in 1944, only about 10% of the German people were actual activist Nazis. In the Democratic Party-controlled south of Yore, of old, only about 5 to 10% of the Democrats were actual members of the Ku Klux Klan. Yep. Around the globe today, only about 5% of the Muslims are actual activist Islamic supremacists. But it's the other 90 to 95% who have been so fully surrounded by because they either succeeded in shutting us up or we've shut ourselves up, and, you know, in order not to cause trouble, in order not to upset our family and not, not to hurt somebody's feelings, that they've never heard any other point of view. And unfortunately, when it comes to politics, that's where Springsteen falls. Yeah, it is pretty scary, uh, to say the least. Rock, you look like you want to ask a question. No, I'm just glad I brought that up. But, you know, you, you talk about 5% Nazis, uh, 5% slave owners. Uh, we talk about this, Evan, on the show all the time about the complacency of the American people where you have a very small amount of people that are putting this narrative together. And, and even some of these people, brother, are extremely well-educated people, but they cannot think outside their little matrix of reality and see the world for what it really is. And you're exactly right. A small amount of people dictate what is happening on this planet, and it scares me. But so. I, I would, I would, I would correct you in in one sense, if I may. Just yes. uh, your 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 language. I don't believe they're well educated. I believe they're long schooled. I believe they've stayed in school for a very long time. But if you're being taught lies, then the longer you stay in school, the stupider you become. Fair enough. And in fact, I I argue that those with the four year degree are eight years behind everybody else. The four years that they missed out on real world experience and the four years that they've been miseducated. Mm, amen. We'll start with that Good small point. number being the 535 yep. members of Congress that are ruling our lives through uh, and, and have never been able to really hold down a real job, in my opinion. And it's funny what you say, though, Evan, moving from the New York area down to here in Georgia. It's exactly that way. Kids go to technical school. Kids learn how to drive a truck. Kids do stuff that they need to do to earn a living. And you know what? They, for the most part, own the homes that they're in. They have right. very and little they have debt. To make, at all. And then they have and, to and make they, choices. Then yep. you have to make choices, which requires you to use your intellect. You see, when you don't mm -hmm. own anything, when you don't make anything, when you don't build anything, then there really is no right or wrong. I mean, probably my most famous comedy bit, what was this uh, seven or nine minute stretch, almost like who's on first uh, about how every profession we associate with liberalism is a profession that's all talk, but no action. 
we, uh, academia, right? People who yeah. don't do anything lecture to children who haven't yet done anything about the people who do things and did things and the things that they did and they do. You know, they flock to journalism because the journalists, actually I'm trying to truncate this for, for your audience for, uh, excuse me, for the time that we have, but in journalism, it's people who don't do anything. They report to the people who do things about the people who do things and did things, right? Then they flock to politics, which is all talk. And of course, they, they, they flock to showbiz where the actor only pretends to know how to do the things the people who do things do. But every one of the major industries that we associate with leftism is all rhetoric and no action. Yeah. I always think of that cartoon where the guy's sitting there with, you know, all of his degrees on the wall, but he's got a, a, a leak. And, of course, the plumber's coming in because he can't function without his plumbing. And the guy, you know, who's probably sitting there trying to look for a job now because he's got a degree in basket weaving 101. And, and the plumber is over there making six figures because, you know, those jobs are always needed. Hate to say it, but it's common but, sense. And, and, and- and when you're when you are going to school for these meaningless degrees, degrees that have no real world functionality, you don't get to test your theories against reality. They simply have created their own reality. The idea is not to be right in academia, it's to be clever. And the same thing is true in showbiz. The idea is not to be right, it is to be clever. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel is never right, he's often clever. Bill Maher is rarely right, but he's often clever. And in the real world, clever, clever excuses for failure doesn't doesn't grow the doesn't grow the crop. You know, clever excuses yeah. for failure doesn't make the plumbing work. Evan, what are you doing in your in your orbit with uh, with speaking engagements and and entertaining? What are you doing with the cancel culture that's going after conservatism so much? How are you battling? Well, first, first of all, for the last year, I have been in the least in-demand profession in all of human history. Public speaker during a global pandemic. Well, um, us too. That, us too with yeah. our buses. I mean, we haven't done a yeah. tour since uh, March 13th of 2020. Right. So fortunately, I'm though, things you, are starting to open up. Fortunately, that time... You know, everything's a blessing and a curse, and, you know, the door closes, the window opens, et cetera, et cetera, which, by the way, is why I think so many urban people don't believe in God. Could you imagine God closes a door and opens a window, and you find out you're on the 79th floor? (laughs) No wonder they're they're so pissed. But That's why God-loving people have screen doors, Evan. Yeah, that's That's slam. Here's the thing, though. You not only— Quick, quick, I'm so sorry. Let me just finish this. Um, But fortunately, the window that opened was it gave me the window of opportunity to write the book. If I had been on the road, if I had been giving speeches on other topics, I wouldn't have had the the time to sit down and and write The Woke Supremacy, which is probably now going, going to be my legacy. I think it's the most, it's been called one of the three most important books of its time in American history. One being uh, Thomas Paine's Common Sense Before the, the, the Revolutionary War, the other being Harry Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin for the Civil War and the woke supremacy for the culture war. Exactly. The thing is, you're comed- being a comedian is hard enough, but being a conservative comedian, 
I mean, most people right now have no sense of humor at all, except maybe those on the right. So that might help you a little bit. But I mean, to me, I, I just can't imagine. And the success you have, which is amazing, is 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 a testament to how good you are. Because, in my opinion, just what you've chosen to do is probably one of the toughest professions that you could do. Perhaps, but first of all, we're not going to talk about my success on the air because my ex-wife might be watching. I, I'm not doing. I'm not doing well at all, Donna. Okay. Okay. Sorry. No, but Been there, truly, too, what I did, uh, Ron, what can I, you somehow can, can you somehow erase the rich Corinthian leather that uh, that he is sitting in and put some type of a screen door background behind him? Uh, it's chair, a green screen. You. It's a green screen. I'm sitting on the toilet, as a matter of fact, oh, in, in an out. In I an some ambience. I thought I heard some Rocky Stucci ambience there. It's, it's the technology <laughs> these days. It's a green screen. Um, I was very fortunate in that as soon as I recognized that, that I was going to be a conservative voice, look, there's nowhere for me to hide. There are a lot of comedians who are conservative. There are very few conservative comedians you know, who, who, who wear their politics on their sleeve the way that I do. And, and once I decided that's what I was going to do, I was going to be, having written Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher for six years back when I was on the other side, I was going to be the Bill Maher for the right. I was going to be the John Stewart for the right. And once I knew that, that I was going to be out, it was undeniable, I began to forewall my own places. It's, instead of being part of a lineup at somebody else's comedy club, I would rent out the theater or the club and invite my fans to come see me. So I didn't have the problem of, of facing uh, those in the cancel culture because I had canceled them first. Mm. Boom. Boom. You know, we're talking about we're talking about comedy. Now we just we have a few minutes here, and and I we talk about comedy. And I remember back when I was a younger kid, and and I would sit with my dad, and we're watching Richard Pryor, and we're watching some of these old school comedians that could get up on stage and they could throw anything out, whatever ethnicity, whatever color. We found comedic value in our flaws, and I still find comedic value in my flaws and Don's flaws and Ron's flaws, but not Donna's. Um, no, what well, happened? She doesn't have any. Yeah, she, well, have any. Uh, she absolutely don't. But what, what happened? She's a perfect person. Oh, the yeah. only flaw. She, the only flaw I've noticed she has is Don. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. dude, we walked right into that, man. We seriously walked really right into did. that. We actually, me and Evan, set that up before the show. We didn't want to say anything though. But what happened? What happened to the art of laughter? What happened to the art of being able to laugh at ourselves? And you know, Italians do freaking weird things, you know. So we make fun of it. Um, we talk with our hands. Where did that go? You know, why can't we do that without offending half the country now? Well, part of the problem with a supremacy is that they think they're supreme, mm. that in order to sell themselves as this trait that will bring paradise once everybody shares it, they cannot allow for their own flaws to be acknowledged. It's the same in every supremacy. Hitler wouldn't allow a flaw to be acknowledged. Lenin wouldn't allow a flaw to be acknowledged. Mao wouldn't allow a flaw to be acknowledged. And the democratic socialists of today will not acknowledge flaws amongst themselves. Since they see this as war, they have weaponized everything so that the leftist academic isn't an academic, he's a leftist who happens to teach. A leftist entertainer isn't an entertainer, he's a leftist 
who happens to tell jokes. Mm -hmm. And so even Samantha B just the other day admitted that why would I make fun of, of the things that I think are, are great? And because they no longer have the ability to laugh at themselves because they are supremacists, they believe that even one drop of being unlike them is enough to make you evil. You know, and I, and I, and I turned to this woman who was the editor in chief of Teen Vogue magazine, such a good supremacist that within just a few years, she kept getting promoted because they recognized she was such a good supremacist. And then they found out she had tweeted something as a child that was somewhat insensitive. And that was enough to see her fully disempowered and, and her voice silenced. They literally fired her. They literally canceled her. And, and because they cannot, this is the one drop rule. It's the one drop rule that, that said if you have one drop of non-white blood, the Democrats considered you black. Mm -hmm. It's the one drop rule in the Islamic supremacist movement where one drop of being an infidel is enough to see you beheaded. And it's the one drop rule of wokeism because it is like the Nazis, like the, the white supremacists of the Democratic Party controlled South, uh, like the Islamic supremacist movements of ISIS and Hamas and Islamic Jihad. It is a supremacist movement. Unbelievable. Ladies and gentlemen, I mean, uh, Evan, say it. Uh, you know, I, I don't say this to a lot of people. I've had I've had two guests this week to where I said, I want to sit around a fire and smoke a cigar. And I would love to do that with you sometime, Evan. But ladies and gentlemen, do not forget you can get your emergency food supply. My Patriot Supply, $50 off, four-week supply, 2,000 calories per meal, simply by going to preparewiththesituation.com. That's preparewiththesituation.com. Our guest, Evan it, and of course, we have Donna Fiducia, Don Nguyen. I am Rocky Stucci. You are listening to The Situation Room. Ladies and gentlemen, hold another segment to go. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Stand by, folks. Seventy-six kids. That is the code you should be using when you go to mypillow.com. Welcome back to the second segment of the Situation Room. Again, you know, I kind of seem to forget some things sometimes when I bring us back on the radio, but do not forget to go support our networks, their Facebook pages, their Twitter accounts. Of course, the Ron Phillips Mojo 50 Radio. Go to mojo50.com. Odyssey Radio by O-D-Y-S-Y number one dot com. And, of course, OpsLens.com and the OpsLens mobile app. Just in case we get booted off all these major social media platforms, you can just download the OpsLens mobile app, and you can catch us there and chat as well. But uh, welcome back to the second segment of this fascinating interview uh, with, I'm going to call him my new brother, but uh, Donna Fiducia, bring us back in. Let's get to talking here. Wait a minute, Rocky. Let me jump in with some interesting news. <laughs> What's that? Why don't you remind all of the viewers where they can find us on the new Mike Lindell platform, Rocky? Please do it. Oh, that is right. You want to go to frankspeech.com. Frank, 
Frank, singular, frankspeech.com, and look us all up as we are influencers Mm -hmm. on uh, Frank Speech. And, uh, folks, I'm telling you something. There's a lot of things going on behind the scenes with this program. Uh, There's going to be some huge distribution opportunities for us, and we are so grateful for each and every one of you sticking it out with us and enjoying our conversations on this program. Again, we're not trying to teach people how to think. We're just strictly teaching people to think. Bottom line. And Rocky, you know what the big distribution means. It means that we're all going to be able to buy chairs like Evan Sayet sitting in. That is a green screen. Don, that's green screen. Green Green screen chair. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, during the break, before uh, Donna brings Evan back in. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It was an amazing thing. An Hold amazing me, thing happened. Let me reintroduce Evan and I will get to this amazing thing. That's right. Evan is seriously funny. He's a conservative political comedian, which is not easy. Master of ceremonies, author, columnist, Apocalypse Now, The Woke Supremacy, which is a new bestseller, and it is just awesome. And The Kindergarten of Eden, just among some of the things he's also written just recently for JustTheNews.com. And we'll get to that in a minute, Evan. John uh, Solomon. There's one thing you've left out both times now that I'm pretty proud of. I wrote the Al Smith dinner speech for President Trump. Oh, I've written four speeches for President Trump. That's true, so, and, and it's funny because I have it on my old notes, and I forgot to transpose it. She does. She's it. got it right I here. I have 2016 right Al Smith dinner. But you know what was amazing, right. Evan? Virtually, I don't know how this happened, but virtually, Good suddenly, man. you were this able to also sign your book for Don now. Look. <laughs> Before it said Donna, now it says Donna and Don. How did you do that no, virtually? I wanted to say Donna and Donna, and I ran out of ink again. God, Don's <laughs> name looks like a horror movie. <laughs> so you you defiled my what, work what? for the sake of a joke. Wow. You really? Why well, didn't I, I just did? Uh, uh, stop. No what, like, <laughs> what was it like, seriously, writing speeches for Donald Trump? How does that work? The, do they edit I mean, all these he things? He probably out? sat down at a computer. Well, but and he how, used a word. Did you use Word? How many people? <laughs> I, I ultimately did indeed. I started almost like you writing your name in my book. You know, I would do it longhand as I'm coming up with the ideas. Uh, but eventually, yes, I typed it on I, on, on on my word processor machine thing. Um, <laughs> that's the that's kindergarten the of Eden, how the modern liberal thinks. Right, one of the most important <laughs> books ever written. Uh, how does how does that's it right? Work? Well, first that's of all, I was who they turned to. Whenever a speech required humor, you know, the Al Smith dinner speech, if, if you guys know the, the format, it comes after the last debate. And it's been going on always since Eisenhower and even before that, I believe. Uh, and the two presidential candidates, the Democrat and the Republican, attend this big white tie affair held for charity by the Archdiocese in New York. And 
the, the tradition is they come out and they poke a little fun at themselves, some self-deprecating humor, and then a couple of light jabs at their opponent. But it's the show that after the rough and tumble of the campaign, we're all still Americans. We're, you know, it's all good natured and, and, and whatnot. And when they came to me and, and, and told me that, which I already knew, but they told me that, I said, if we do this, he's going to lose the election. If yesterday during the debates you said that that she should be in jail and tomorrow on the campaign trail you say she should be in jail, but when you're on that stage with her, you play nice, that's the end of your campaign. And they said, you know what? You're right. Write whatever you like. And it was so hard and so harsh that Catholics were booing him. (laughs) (laughs) People who have to forgive didn't forgive. Catholics who now throw parishioners out of their churches when they don't wear a mask. No sense of humor at all. Indeed. Indeed. But nonetheless, I I also wrote I also wrote the 2020 uh, Al Smith dinner speech. Unfortunately, at the last minute, Andrew Cuomo decided that that it would be a a spreader of, of covid. And so he canceled it. But I did write the 2020 speech as well. And it was rather funny. So what can you give us some snippets of it? Can I can you even um, really the, the only it? two jokes that I really remember are, are the opening two jokes. And, and one of them you got to you got to work with me on because if you remember, this was what, almost a year ago or six months ago or whatever it was. Uh, but I haven't come out and I, I love when I say this. I had the president come out and say <laughs> I had the president come out and say, uh, I know some of you are surprised to see me here again. You. I was a long shot to win the first time around. In fact, they said it would take a miracle. And he turns and he says, I want to thank you for that, your eminence. And then he says, they say this time, this time they say it's, it's even going to be harder for me to win. In fact, I heard somebody say that there's a better chance that there'll be peace in the Middle East. And then he makes that face. Oh. <laughs> right? Yeah, really? he brought peace yeah. to the Middle East. <laughs> yeah. So it was just... It was, it was, it was, it was peace to the Middle East. And, you know, it's it, it just, that's the phrase you use when you're talking about something that's impossible. Yep. And yet Donald yeah, Trump brought peace over. to the Middle East. Evan, let me ask you, let me ask you this regarding the speech writing that you've done for Trump. Clearly he goes off script. Right. As a speech writer, <laughs> you know, word for word, what's going on with the speech that he should be reading. Does he always get back into it like you want as a speechwriter, or does he come back in and it's a little awkward because he's gone it, off it, script so so far? Yeah, it's it's much more difficult in comedy where every word, every cadence, every every beat is is chosen for optimal humor. And so when he goes off, in fact, to be honest with you, I I had to leave the room when I was watching the Al Smith dinner speech the first time I have gotten better since then. And I actually think he did a great job with it, but because it was, yeah, because well, when you watch him, exactly. you can tell when he goes off script. I can't imagine. Well, and, and a comedian. Way, he can be funny as, as hell when he goes off script, that whole story yeah. he told one time about, about wearing the, the, the slippery shoes and how he had to hold on to yep. the general. So he didn't fall. And the, and the media always worried that he had had a stroke. Yeah, exactly. He is great when he goes off script. And the thing is, when he's got your writing and he goes off script, it's got to be a phenomenal evening to to be able to sit and listen and watch him. 
Exactly. It's it's all right. It's it's hard. It's actually hard when when <laughs> it's your you know it's your baby yeah. and and you wrote every word for a particular reason. On the other hand, it's I'm just I'm just the hired gun. If if this is what he wants to do with it, he's now, the once, president. Once you, know, you write the hired that, gun. once you write that once you write that uh, speech for him, and he's got it. Do they come to you? Or do they do the edits? Uh, do they come to you and approve edits? Oh, no, we How go does back that and forth. We, we go back and forth, uh, you know, and I and I give them a lot more than they need. Um, one thing that I that I've always done, whether I'm writing for Arsenio, whether I'm writing for Bill Maher, whether I was writing for the Tonight Show, or whether I'm writing for the president, is I refuse to censor myself. I, I refuse to say, "Oh, he won't like this," because I've learned too many times that they do like that, uh, mm-hmm. and and. Most famously, that that sort of happened to me. I, I wrote a joke for Arsenia. We had we had uh, Bill Clinton, Governor Bill Clinton, on the show mm. playing the saxophone. If you, if you recall, that was an iconic uh, mo- cultural moment. And I and I wrote the line for Arsenio. I said, uh, "I want to I want to thank the governor for for sitting in with the posse. That's what he called the band, the posse. Uh, it's good to see a Democrat blowing something other than an election." You should have seen, seen Clinton's face before he got to the punchline when he's blowing something up and Clinton's face just dropped. Oh, and then he laughed. I would have loved to see Hillary's face. I don't think she was there. I think she was with her, her with her girlfriend. Yeah, I bet. Maybe. And, and yeah, Uma Abedin, uh, Mrs. Anthony Weiner. So how about being the prompter operator? That's got to be the only thing that's harder than, than trying to write right, a speech for, for Donald yeah, Trump. That's kind of, that's I want to get to what you wrote for justthenews.com. Um, again, John Solomon's great website, a wonderful resource for all news. Um, and your your comment and your article is woke supremacy. Tech censorship is like Nazi communist cancel culture. Um, right on, and please explain it. But, but I, first of all, I, I, I do need to correct you. Even though it's all, it's, it was basically a transcript of the interview that I did with John that's on his podcast this week. Uh, somebody there just took out, uh, took, took out different clips of the things that I said during that hour that or half hour that I was on with John, uh, and, and, and put in some, uh, so their own comments. So it wasn't technically written by me. It was written by this other person, but it's filled with my excerpts and my quotes, including the one you just gave, including the one you just gave. And, and one of the most important points I make in the woke supremacy is, is that one of the reasons we have a hard time recognizing the woke as a supremacist movement is because we associate supremacies with their atrocities. And, you have to remember the atrocities of, of the death camps. The death camps were liberated 75 years ago. The Russian Revolution that gave us the gulags uh, was, was over 100 years ago. Now, that's not a lot of time in, in historic time, but in terms of technology, those were simply the technologies that were available to those cancel cultures. The fact that they are now using different technologies today that are not as ghastly, not as deadly, but serve the same end, to fully disempower and forever silence the voices of the others. And that's, and that's what George Orwell was warning about in 1984. He wasn't warning about the authoritarianism and totalitarianism 
of supremacist movements like the socialists. Those things were well known by all at that time. In fact, they're even written into the socialist, the communist manifesto, the dictatorship of the proletariat that must come before the workers' paradise. He was warning about how technology would become the new gulags and gas chambers, the less bloody but far more efficient and most frighteningly inexpensive so that it's affordable to the movement before it even seizes power. You know, Hitler didn't have yeah. gas chambers in 1928, not because he couldn't have, but because he, not because he wouldn't have, but because he couldn't have. He hadn't yet come to power. And so the fact that the woke supremacists have not yet done the, the things that their fellow supremacists have done should not be all that reassuring. But here's the thing. They don't need to release the hounds the way Democrats did on blacks. They can now hound them into submission on the Internet. They don't need to put Jews into ghettos. The reason that Hitler put the Jews into ghettos was to remove their voice so that they could not disprove the hateful narratives of the supremacy with their humanity. Well, now Zuckerberg can simply electronically ghettoize us. They can remove our voice from the community by writing a line of code. Mm -hmm. They don't need... To, to, to shatter the windows of our businesses like they did on Kristallnacht. Now they can demonetize us by writing a line of code. And, and, and so it's not as bloody, it's not as atrocious, it's not as, 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 as evil as their predecessors, but it is a cancel culture different only in its advanced technological sophistication. Yet. It's not as bloody yet. Unfortunately, I think. Well, I don't know that, that it'll, I don't know that it'll ever have to become that bloody. If you, if you read 1984, huh? you know, in, in it, they don't have gas chambers and gulags. They what they do is is they have electronically controlled. They have used technology to brainwash and control. And and by the way, they had this mythical enemy that everybody hated called Goldstein. Well, the Democrats have this mythical enemy that they hate called Donald Trump. And and in 1984, you didn't need to have the killing fields like Mao. You didn't need to have the gas chambers like 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 Hitler. You didn't need to have the gulags like Stalin because the technology was such that it was taken care of electronically. You know what I noticed, Evan, is that you know when you look at how uh, information and mainstream media distribute information now, very cherry picked information, and how you're talking about creating codes to to keep this manufactured reality going, uh, you know, it seems like it, it, people are voluntarily self segregating themselves again, and that's something that so many people during the civil rights movement fought to end, and now people are self segregating again. You know, one one of the great lies. Of, of the woke movement, starting with the 1960s radicals, was that they were the ones responsible for the civil rights advances of the 60s and 70s, and, and that we opposed them. It's exactly the opposite. It, it, it was actually the woke supremacists who joined with the Democratic Party specifically because they were the party of segregation specifically because they were a party of slavery and Jim Crow and, and the Indian Removal Act. If you go back to the very beginning of the Democratic Party, race has always been critical to the theory behind Democratic Party policies. Race was critical to the theory behind the Democratic Party policy of slavery. Race was critical to the Democratic Party policy of, of, of Indian removal. Race was critical to the Democratic Party policy of, 
of, of Japanese internment. And today they even call it critical race theory. They have always been the racists. The reason they joined with the Democratic Party was because it was the party of racism. And the goal of the, of the, of the radicals was to start a revolution. And the way they wanted to start this revolution was by starting a race war. So this is why not only did they join with the racists, George Wallace, the, the party of Jim Crow and, and, and slavery, but when the civil rights movement split into two, one led by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who was Republican in every possible way. His movement was Christian in, in spirit, peaceful in action, and pro-American in, in, in objectives. And the other side was led by Malcolm X, yep. who was Muslim in spirit, violent in action, and anti-American in objective. And the radicals joined with Malcolm X. Why did they join the party that was both Malcolm X and George Wallace? Because they didn't care if whites hated blacks or blacks hated whites, so long as Americans hated each other. Mm. And that has not yeah. changed one bit today. Yeah, Brilliant, man. Yeah. Brilliant. And, and what they accuse your enemy of, their enemy of, is exactly what they are doing, which you simply said just now and so eloquently. And to me, he, what really makes me laugh is you have these graduations now with black graduations and Hispanic graduations or whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, didn't we fought a civil war for this, like you just said? And now you actually want to be segregated again. What is wrong with you? You're not well, thinking critical race. Segregation, segregation is typically as 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 abhorrent as it is on its own. It is typically uh, a precursor to the more to the greater evil that the supremacists intend. For example, the reason that the Democrats kept black and white children apart on the plantation was because if they had been together, the humanity of the black children and would have shown through and blacks and whites would have got to know each other, like each other, love each other, and the Democratic Party policy of slavery would have ended in one generation. The reason Hitler first put the Jews into ghettos was because if he allowed them to stay in the general population, they would have disproved, and, and therefore the final solution never could have come to be. Well, this is why the Democrats today seek to segregate blacks from whites, so that the hateful narrative of the woke supremacists can't be disproved by each other's humanity. You know, it's funny because in a recent conversation, we were talking about them taking cops off and live PD off the air about a year ago. And I thought about that, how you just explained it, Evan, in regards to they don't want everybody to see how much cops actually do good in our country. So what they do is they take all those shows off the air so we don't see their interaction with all communities across this country. That, that, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I mean, hmm. one of the things that, that all supremacist movements do is dehumanize the other. Hmm. You know, blacks were not fully human beings. Jews were, were vermin, according to, to the Islamicists. They are the offspring of pigs and monkeys. And, and, and thus, in the Democratic Party, they haven't quite gotten to calling us animals, yet, although they certainly have. Uh, but we are all deplorable. We're not only deplorable, we are irredeemably deplorable. And if somebody is irredeemably deplorable, there's no reason whatsoever not to kill them. Yeah, we're domestic terrorists now. Back in 2003, the governor of Colorado, Governor, I think it was Richard Lamb, 
L-A-M-M, if I'm not mistaken, gave a speech. And as a Democrat, it was an extremely prophetic speech about how to destroy America. Uh, I would encourage all of you that are that are watching and listening, go find the the Governor Richard Lamb speech. Again, I think it was from 2003. It's about a 15-minute speech, 13-minute speech. But he lays out all of the different ways, if you wanted to destroy America, how would you go about doing it? And one of those ways, one of the most paramount ways, was to divide. Divide us, divide us, divide us, divide us. And I can't think of a better combination and melting pot, which I'll use from that speech, of a of an administration that has destroyed this country through division, started off with the Obama administration and is continuing right now into the Biden administration. We had four years of what I consider to be unity, and now we're dealing with this division again. Go find that speech either in written form, better yet, listen to it in audio form. I, I don't know if you guys, uh, Donna, I know you know what I'm talking yeah. about, but uh, the, the Governor Richard Lamb speech from uh, 2000, How to Destroy America, and I think 2003. About 99% of it, unfortunately, is done. Ever, Evan, do you think we can, uh, we can right this wrong here at this point? Do you think what's going to take for people to wake up? Uh-oh. The good news is that revolutions eat their own. And what what happens is once, I mean, the famous poem from after the Holocaust, you know, first they came for the Jews, but I wasn't Jewish, so I didn't speak up. Then they came for it, but I, was, I, I wasn't I was a communist, so I didn't speak up. Uh, then there was nobody left to speak up for me. What happens in a revolution is that those who went along because they opposed the other side, but didn't give any thoughts to what they're replacing it with, start to open their eyes. So now they become the enemy and they must be attacked. They must be fully disempowered and forever silenced. And then the people just a little bit to their left then a little bit to their left in, in, until revolutions finally destroy themselves ultimately, or, or they don't. But I mean, that, that's the hope is that enough people are saying, wait, this is starting to happen to me or it's getting too close to me. Uh, and, and you see Bill Maher doing it. You see uh, Matt Taibbi of, of Rolling Stone doing it. Sarah Silverman recently put out a, a, a short video where she said, I'm leaving the Democratic Party. Uh, so you are you are seeing that as the fire gets closer to them, you know, it was okay when they were doing it to us. But as it gets closer and closer to them, and again, I go back to the story of, of, of the editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue. If she's a victim of the revolution, then, then everybody has to keep in mind, you're next. You know, you may think they're just coming for the Jews now, or they may just be coming for the blacks now, or they may just be coming for the, but they'll be coming for you. That's just the reality. That's the truism of supremacist movements like the woke. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is amazing at how low we have to go in order to try and, and rebuild and restore. And, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I, I've said this, Almost since we started doing radio eight, nine, whatever years ago it's been. If you go to sleep every night and you're not absolutely fatigued from trying to restore America from the damage that has taken place, you're just simply not working hard enough. You have got to go to bed fatigued. 
And if you don't have the resources financially to fight this, you got to be boots on the ground and fight it. Uh, I believe it was Brigitte Gabriel that spoke about the fact that you've got to work locally. You got to think locally and you got to get in at that precinct, the precinct manager level. You've got to, you've got to go to bed worn out. I mean, you know, back in 2010, 2011, 2012, 13, we thought that we had seen the worst of it. And we had seen a bad situation, but it's gotten far worse. This has gotten to the point where a lot of what's going on in this country, to me as an American, is unrecognizable as being it's American. Ex- it's, it's existential. This is like 1776, and this is like uh, – 18, you know, 1860, uh, the Civil War. Uh, this is existential. If we were to lose, uh, it's it's the end of America as we know it. We yeah. will be replaced yeah. by a socialist supremacist system in which, you know, the, the hallmark of a supremacy. I don't, did I talk about this earlier? I've done so much radio and TV the last few days. I hope I'm not repeating myself. But the hallmark matter. of it's a supremacy... The hallmark of a supremacist movement is not that there's racism or bigotry or, or injustice. Every society has that to a certain degree. The hallmark of a supremacist movement, what makes something a supremacist movement, is the belief that all rights, privileges, and protections of society belong only to those who possess a certain trait. So in Nazi Germany, that trait was Aryanism, and all rights, privileges, and protections of Nazi society belonged only to them. All others were not only denied these things, but it was a moral imperative to the supremacists that their society's resources be used to fully disempower and forever silence all others. In uh, the Islamicist supremacist movement, the supreme trait is not race, it's creed. Those who, who possess a, an extreme devotion before 6th century Muhammad are entitled to all the rights, privileges, and protections of Islamicist society. All others, the infidels, are not only not entitled to them, but they are. it's a moral imperative to the Islamicists that they use their resources right down to their very lives to fully disempower and forever silence the others. So, do the woke believe that all rights, privileges, and protections of society should belong only to those who, who possess the supreme trait of wokeness? And the answer is yes. They believe that free speech belongs only to those who are woke. Anybody who isn't woke is not entitled to free speech. Freedom of assembly is only for the woke. Freedom of association is only for the woke. Due process is only for the woke. In fact, even having a job is only for the woke. It is a supremacist movement, and as such, the end will be as it's been with every other supremacist movement before it. It will be the total destruction of the other. Jesus. Hey, Donna, we, 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 we have a minute before we have to be out. Let everybody know how they can follow Evan Say It. Evan Don't Say follow it. me. Oh, 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 okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I misunderstood. The woke supremacy, <laughs> Apocalypse Now, the kindergarten of Eden. Again, folks, get your copies. 
awesome reading, great information, evansayit.com. He's a great master of ceremonies as well, author, yeah. columnist, Evan. Thank you so much for joining us. Man, Evan, <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. What an I, amazing... book is The Woke Supremacy. That's the Woke the Supremacy. Woke Evan no, Sayed, thank you so much. The Woke Supremacy, folks. Look it up. Hey, visit our website, streamingtalkradio.com, cowboylogic.us, patrioticreport.com. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of Don Nguyen, on behalf of Donna Fiducia, and of course, my new brother, Evan Sayed, I am Rocky Stucci. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.